Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the No Hold Bars podcast again. Very special one for me today because I'm talking to two real-life grown-up pilots. Uh, we've got Ben and we've got Danny on the line. How are you doing, boys? All right, Flav. Yeah, not bad. Thanks very much. Um, I, I had a conversation with you, Ben, the other day, didn't I, about um, potentially doing a podcast. And you were like a bit, it seemed a little bit like confused as to whether or not this would be interesting. And yeah, I said, it's... I do worry about that a bit because I, I, I worry it might sound a bit self-indulgent. Well, I, I'm, I, I'll tell you what, where this comes from. It's, you didn't suggest doing this. And Danny, I've literally asked you this morning and you said, OK, to do it. It's, it's about my fascination with, with flying. So really, you're just serving me. And if anyone's being a bit self-indulgent, it's me. And, um, you know, because this is a conversation I want to have. And okay. uh, I just think recording it would be cool. And, and to be honest, it's, it's a struggle getting content right now. So <laughs> it, you're helping me out. Um, so, Danny, tell me, how long have you been a pilot? Um, I started in 2006. So what's that, about 14 years or something like that? Uh, ben? Uh, so I've been in commercial aviation for just almost exactly five years, actually. Okay, so Danny's technically a better pilot than you. It's considerably better. There's many of people who would uh, who would disagree with that, I'd imagine. <laughs> is there, is I mean, I know this is a stupid question, but is there such thing? At, like, are some pilots better than others? Is it is there a way to gauge how good a pilot is? Somewhat. Ben? There are. There's probably uh, for me. I would say that any and um, if Danny disagrees with this, it's going to be awkward. But any pilots who start to think or say that some pilots are better than others, particularly if they consider themselves to be better. That's one of the only things I would say makes them not so good because you, the thing is everyone is fallible. You know, it's a big, uh, you know, sort of human factors kind of thing. Um, and being better or being worse is not really quantifiable, but your attitude is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd completely agree with that. And generally you find uh, uh, guys who are or girls who are extremely overconfident of the game tend to not be the guys you want to be in an airplane with for too long. Um, and just because they're pains in the asses, pretty much. Yeah, you're you're sitting in a in a in a tiny little room for hours and hours on end, and it can be quite tiresome if if it is that way. Yeah, I and get that. I get that because you, you forget that. I mean, you think like oh, you're concentrating and you. And you but as as much as I know, we're going to come on to this. Is that you're not really flying it once it's up there, are you? 
Uh, you're not hand flying it. No, no. The autopilot will do most of the work when you're in the cruise. Yeah. So, so you, are, you are having to talk to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Ben, have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where you see a rotor and you see who your co-pilot is and you're just like, fuck's sake. Um, so to, to put it into context, so I'm, I'm a, a, a senior first officer, first officer, right? So I sit in the right hand seat. Um, as I understand it, Danny, you're a uh, skipper, aren't you? You're a captain. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, so for someone who doesn't know, what's the, what's the deal there? What does that mean? What you've just said? Okay, so the captain is basically, he's the boss. He's legally responsible for the safe conduct of the flight. There's probably a, a proper um, legal definition of it, but that's my understanding of it. Um, you operate, the first officer and the captain operate the flight together. The way it works at my company, and again, this probably differs for some, is that if you're doing, say, two flights a day, um, one of you will physically fly the aircraft out and the other one will physically fly it back. You decide that at the start of the day. Um, but the captain is overall uh, responsible uh, for it. So as a first officer being in the right-hand seat, if you get a captain who is a little bit more headstrong, arrogant, a little bit more difficult to work with, it's kind of particularly difficult because they are technically, um, you know, sort of superior to you in rank. So you do sometimes have to bite your tongue a little bit. And those can be really difficult days. I've not had too many of them. 95% of the guys and girls I fly with are, are brilliant. Um, but they are out there. Yeah. Um, and do you find that if you are with a captain who is a little bit like that, do do you um, to make you more self-conscious when you're in control? 100%. I, I, I would go as far as to say it actually makes me um, not fly so well um, because you're sort of second-guessing. Rather than going on your um, instinct and what you consider to be the best thing, it almost adds an extra sort of check process in where you're thinking, What's he going to think if I if I do this or say this or whatever? And it just takes up that little bit more of your capacity. Mm. You're concentrating more on that or, or, or part of, of what you should be concentrating on when flying a plane is going on something else. That's exactly. Danny, yes. have, you ever, have you ever been in the cockpit and you're thinking, I've got to take over, this guy's going to kill us all? Um, maybe not to that extreme. I, I do um, uh, a lot of training of the new guys, so it's... Um, it's quite common that they'll make mistakes, which is, is normal. But you, uh, yeah, I've had to take over several times, but that's quite normal in that scenario. It does happen. Because they're, they're learning, right? Yeah, they're learning, yeah. And, you know, with any stages of any learning, you have to make mistakes, and it does happen, and that's how you learn, and that's how you, you sort of progress through it. It's not, it's not uncommon at all. What's your favourite flying movie? Is it Flight? Flying movie? Um, the one when he lands it upside down. <laughs> Denzel. Denzel. That's, I, a real, that's a real story, right? No, it's not. No, no, no. But you can't uh, up, you can't land a plane upside down. I've never tried, if I'm honest. Um, I'll try probably it. do it once. <laughs> Looks I good. Think, I think I'd be brought in for tea and biscuits with the chief pilot if that happened. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I don't know. Airplane. Airplane was a great one. That comedy one from the 1980s. Yes, yeah, great. That was a quality one. Um. What, so one of the things that I'm fascinated by you two, right, is that this is like getting in an airplane is something I have to do because there are better places to go than where I currently am, right? I can't get there any other way. I don't want to spend half of that time traveling on a ship and driving and train. So I appreciate how good fucking aircrafts are, right? How, how amazing they are. But I hate, the, I hate their guts because once <laughs> I get in there, I'm... I like unless I'm like I've taken some sort of diazepam or, or some sort of thing I'm I'm I can't shift my brain from thinking about the fact that we're going to go so high up 
in a tin can and and literally when you're up there but just not that far beneath my feet is a drop to almost certain what well, an actual certain death right mm. is there some people that just have that and some people like yourselves that don't because you've both of you have chosen to do this ben what, what, what have you ever been afraid of flying um so my mum is one of the most fearful flyers i've ever met um and i so I, so i understand it and when i was a lot younger you know how it is with your parents you sort of pick up a bit on their fear um like i also got my fear of spiders from her um like so i i, I do have a vague memory of that feeling and and i i understand it because it's, it's let's be honest it's a pretty unnatural um thing to do and it's it's you can tell people it's an irrational fear but to them because you know the situation you've just described it feels completely rational so i i, I do 100 percent um understand it it's if i'm completely honest with you i don't really think about that kind of thing when I'm flying. Um, I, I never have, but I think that's just because this sounds cheesy, but I enjoy it so much. I don't really think about that side of it, you know? I think that you, you come across quite shallow when you say that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's accurate. <laughs> Danny, uh, how about you? Did you ever have to overcome any of these very rational fears? Um, I, I remember being young and, and having a slight fear. I remember being slightly uncomfortable with it, but I guess that gave me a little bit of thrill, I suppose. I was always fascinated by aircraft and yeah. Um, but I, I do remember, um, being slightly uncomfortable when I was younger, but of course that you kind of grow out of that. I do, um, I do a lot of paragliding on the side and, uh, that still terrifies the shit out of me if I'm honest. Because um, it's a stupid, it's, it's, it is a terrifying thing to do. It's, you know, people people that do this stuff because they they need to feel alive, right? The adrenal the adrenaline aspect of it that it is mm. addictive. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's uh, yeah it's it's it can I found it's a very very lonely place to be at you know high altitude and on hang dangling under a kite. And yeah, because no, yes, of course, it is. <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> but you just do it because it's something that most people don't or can't do or what. Um, I, I started doing it because I sort of, uh, the airline industry kind of started to bore me quite a bit actually. And I wanted to keep up a bit of flying, but, uh, a different type of flying. And I enjoy the paragliding cause I like hiking. You can hike up to the top of mountains and then fly your way down to the bottom. So it was kind of a mixture of getting out in the outdoors and, and still maintaining that, um, I don't know. So you, uh, you, you, you got bored of being in an airplane. So you wanted to become an airplane. <laughs> um I, I suppose so that could be one way of putting it yeah <laughs> amazing um uh so do you I, I think i've asked this to ben before because me, me and ben have met several times at socials and whatnot and ben's actually I, i've said this on the pod but i'll say it because he's here he's saved i i'm terrible at traveling and when i say that i'm not talking about the fear i'm just i'm shit at making planes on time and getting stuck somewhere and it's not just being being shit it's sometimes it's luck I'm, I'm, I'm i feel like i'm an unlucky person in many ways and so i keep getting stuck at airports after missing my plane and one specific time was really bad uh we uh, i was in switzerland we'd, be, we'd gone to see my, my girlfriend's swiss and we'd gone to see her, her, her father and the kids to see their granddad and had a lovely week out there switzerland as i'm sure you guys will know is one of the most beautiful places on it's earth beautiful place, yeah yeah it's amazing um, anyway, we spent a week there and we got to, I can't remember getting mixed up, right? But there, we, well, I think we we're at Basel and Zurich's quite close, right? It's like it's only like an hour or something away. Mm. Um, and 
we got to Basel and, and we'd, we'd missed our plane. We got to the gates and they wouldn't let us on, even though they were letting someone in a wheelchair on. Now, I appreciate, like, now, with my rational head on, I'm like, you know, there's an order to getting people on and, and the person in the wheelchair needs to be on at a certain time. And, and I was like, the doors are open, please let us through. They couldn't, uh, why, why couldn't they, just so I can just put this to bed? Why wouldn't they let me on once the gates closed? If, if uh, they have, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ben. Well, go on, Ben. Uh, no, well, uh, not 100% sure, but obviously if, if they're, basically people in wheelchairs um, and people who need assistance, they're classified slightly differently. They're called PRMs. Uh, I think which I think is person of reduced mobility, mm. and they get loaded into the aircraft separately to um, to sort of the mainstream passengers, if you like. So um, usually that would happen before I have to say, but in this case it sounds like it was happening after. So if they're doing it separately, it may be that they've already closed off the sort of, uh, say, mainstream passengers. Uh, so if I'd have ran around them and and somehow not been arrested on the plane, um, it I wouldn't think that have made would have much. Been a bit but yeah. um <laughs> yeah anyway so we got stuck and um obviously as you can imagine uh you're in switzerland so that's expensive uh, anyway even if you're in my head i'm thinking oh, we're gonna have to stay somewhere we're gonna uh or can we just book another flight and we started going to the gates so we went to ba uh they had nothing uh went to, to EasyJet, and they had four no no uh, they had nothing as well there was another one, um, I can't remember the name of it, but they had four seats or, or left on the plane, and obviously that's what we needed. And I said, how much? And the price of these, it was the last seats, seats on the plane, and I think the quote at the time was something like 1,600 quid for four tickets. And the reality at that time is I just didn't have that money. I didn't have it in there. And we were just sitting there, like the kids were crying, my missus is fuming. It's none of us a fault as well. We thought we were on time. Anyway, anyway. Um, and I... I um, my for some reason it just popped into my missus's head you, you know that guy who works for that air firm don't you airline and i went yes i do and i rung ben up and out of the i don't know i don't think you know what that did at that moment when you said i can sort your tickets out on this plane in another airport it was like it was the one of the best feelings in the world it was <laughs> it was incredible and, and since then i've had that conversation about four times with ben but, you know, the first one was the most special one. Um, yeah, so good. I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, it was gone on my own self-indulgent tangent. Uh, so can, can you be sucked into an aircraft toilet? <laughs> <laughs> Danny. Um, I, 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 yes. No, of course you can't. Absolutely not. But but when you when you go for a wee or a dump in the toilet, it sucks you. It sucks you. It goes. <laughs> and then, like, what's going on? Can you, where's it going? Uh, it goes to a, a waste tank in, inside the aircraft. It's a, it's a, it runs off a vacuum once you're in the air. There's a motor on the ground, depending on what type of aircraft. But on the ground, it'll be a motor. And on, on our aircraft, I think it's above about 15,000 or so. It switches over to a, to a vacuum. And it's, uh, I'm, um, I'm really disappointed that it goes into a tank and doesn't just get shot out the back of the aircraft. Well, yeah. yeah or, or you can just pick your location and drop it. But uh, no, you can't do that, unfortunately. What You, you, you mean... Once they would have had a button and they can just drop drop the waste. <laughs> no. Oh no. god. Because it will just disintegrate anyway, wouldn't it? It would just go like, everywhere. So well, uh, that's all good until you're sunbathing out the back of your house, and then you know a couple of tons of shit lies. In, uh, <laughs> <off you. laughs> what do you think chemtrails are? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> have you ever had any conversations in those nutcases about chemtrails, Ben? Oh, I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. 
they're so what, British. What's what's the deal? They're, they're saying that the government are uh, sort of controlling us through releasing chemicals in aviation. It's that's uh, I've had two or three people say, and it's usually like friends of friends or friends of my missus or whatever have, have said to. So you know, is there you know something? Is there a bit conspiratorial? But there is, you know, there must be something. You just think, no, uh, uh, you know, clearly there isn't. Um, what is actually happening when you see that in the plane? It's just uh, water condensing, basically. There's, there's moisture. It goes, obviously, there's moisture in all air. It goes through the engines. The temperature changes, and it comes out, and some of it condenses out, out the back. It's not chemicals. It's just essentially steam. Okay. I had a, um, I had a guy, um, I think it was in, we were in Boston, and, and uh, we were boarding pastures, and this guy just jumped into the flight deck when the door was open, and he started having a go how we should be ashamed of ourselves, and he knows what we're doing. And his friends know what we're doing. So, what, what was he doing I, I, there then? Is it just to give you that opportunity? Did he buy a ticket just to have that opportunity? I assume he bought a ticket to go where he was going, but took the opportunity to tell us off to stop mind controlling the population of the United States. Yeah. Uh, I, I apologised on behalf of all airline pilots. And, <laughs> and, and he continued on his way. By the way, guys, if there any great stories come into your head as we're talking, even if it's unrelated to any questions I ask, please do volunteer them. If you just think, I know this great story, I heard this about someone or something happened on my flight, you know, let's, uh, let, you know, if anything pops into your head, just go, I've got a great story, and then we'll stop. Sure. Um, sure. So an aircraft door can't be opened during the flight. It's impossible. No. no. So when that, do you know that story broke? Um, it was people were flying towards the boxing in Saudi Arabia a couple of months ago and you might even be aware of this but the, there was loads of boxers on this plane and this guy who was a national of Saudi Arabia um, was 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 talking uh, in mumbles what would you call it like uh, like religious mumbling I can't oh, remember oh yes yeah, um, yeah I don't know the word for it yeah anyway he was and he was trying to open the door when they were like at whatever altitude they were but quite high up you know 30,000 cruising altitude whatever that is yeah what is that, just quickly? Cruising out. Yeah. Uh, about 37,000 feet, 39 what? is the ceiling for Airbus. So or when, the 320s, rather. When, when, I, um, when, when I was a kid, I'd be looking out the window, and as it got to about, must be about 1,000 feet, I'm like, this is cool. Don't need to go any higher than this. Let's just fly <laughs> this. Why, do you, why does the aircraft go so high to fly? Uh, efficiency, basically. It's faster and cheaper to fly up there. The air is less dense. Obviously, you burn a bit more fuel to get up there. But once you're up there, it's much more efficient. It burns less fuel. You're, but I mean, initially, the idea comes um, that you're. Sorry, the initial idea rather was that you're above the weather. That's um, was one of the sort of significant improvements with pressurised aircraft and that, that you can get up there. But now the reason they do it, as I say, is um, is the cost. It's the cheapest because it's essentially the uh, um, the least drag and it uh, burns the least fuel to be up there. Yeah, these like modern jet aircraft aren't really designed these days to be flying low and slow. They're uh, they burn far too much fuel. They're far more efficient to be uh, flying high and fast. If you count to after taking off, if you count to one hundred and forty, are you safe? <laughs> what? Well, <laughs> I, I heard someone told me once that if you can count to one hundred and forty from the minute you leave the ground, you're pretty much safe from any incident. I suppose there's a, there's a bit of logic in that in a weird way because uh, most aircraft incidents and accidents generally happen in and around an airport. So uh, in theory, you can't really crash into air. So I suppose there's a bit of, bit of logic around that. Uh, and birds flying into engines and that? I've had that. What? I've, uh, 
Yeah, I lost about oh, four years ago, I think it was, in in Barcelona, about 500 feet, took a bird into the left engine and and that was fun. Oh my um, God, what, and, and you're alive? I'm alive. It's actually <laughs> surprising that the aircraft, that particular aircraft, that was a 321, I think it was, uh, they handle really, really well, single engine. And you're trained for, as Ben will tell you as well, like every six months we, we do that scenario constantly. So it just becomes routine. And the aircraft itself flies without a problem on one engine. It's no problem. Is it, Ben, when you, if you're flying with one engine, if, even if you haven't had it in real life, but on a simulator, is it just a case of just sort of like, you know, tilting the plane on the other side where you've got the, you know, against the force of the engine? Yeah, not, not even that. Um, you know, if, if you if you lose an engine while while you're flying with the autopilot in, it will completely take care of that for you. And to a certain degree, you wouldn't even if you wouldn't even notice it if you didn't have the sort of you know um, warnings from the engine failure system, etc. Um, wow. The most sort of pronounced effect of it you would um, you would find is uh, and the thing which um, Danny was alluding to, we we practice a lot is when it happens immediately after takeoff. Um, so you've got really high thrust set on both engines. You haven't got the autopilot in, and then suddenly you lose all the thrust in in one engine. So you've got almost maximum from the other. That's quite a pronounced yaw, which you have to uh, counteract. Wow! And, 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 and when you say counteract, is it you, you do that by adjusting the wings, the flaps, and the wings and stuff? Well, with that particular engine is actually the rudder. So um, if you ever get the chance to, to look at in, in a cockpit, um, both the pilots will each have two um, rudder pedals, yeah. uh, which are down. They look like or similar to your brake and accelerator in the car, but a bit bigger. They do two things. They control the, the nose wheel uh, when you're on the ground, um, but they also control the rudder, which is the big sort of the vertical stabilizer on the tail of the plane. And that's what you would use to counteract the yaw, which is sort of the... Uh, rotation around the um I, I, sorry Fly, i think i'm getting too too technical no I, um, I, I, all i can think about is how hard david alfie ward is right now <laughs> <laughs> he's actually stroking one out as we speak <laughs> but yeah well, hope that's so. how you counteract it you use the rudder and the yes okay um so yeah this guy was flying to saudi arabia and he was trying to open the the door and obviously at that height he couldn't open it so it's impossible to, even regardless of what you do, you cannot open the door when it's at that height. It's impossible. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a plug system. So in order for the, the, the door to close, it has to sort of come into the cabin and then it plugs itself uh, against the fuselage. So as you pressurize, the pressure differential between the inside and the outside of the cabin is so great that you won't, you won't be able to overcome it. I had um, uh, one guy a few years ago in Vietnam try to open it on me he thought it was the door to the toilet which i always found very very strange um he i, I can't understand how you're sitting in a, a cylindrical tube essentially and you think there's a room outside it that where the toilet exists and there's a window and fluffy clouds flying by but anyway <laughs> um was he arrested yeah. uh he was actually I, I i didn't want that to happen but because there's there's a system that monitors um any we got a warning in flight that they it shows that the um the forward right entry door was open. Of course it wasn't because the, the aircraft was still pressurized. If it wasn't pressurized, then you might have an issue. So I just went out just to have a check and the handle was up. Um, and it was, uh, we found out it was a guy back in row three or four. I thought it was the toilet. And unfortunately in, uh, in countries like Vietnam, they take that stuff really, really seriously. And the guy, uh, the guy got a seriously heavy fine for it. He should have been, he should have been hanged. <laughs> 
that is not there is no there's no room for, for I mean there is because you can't open it so it doesn't really matter but maybe hang it's a bit um what about thunderstorms and, and lightning like I've heard that it, it doesn't really impact a flight that the air, airplanes are de 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 designed to um to sustain that kind of weather and it doesn't really create any any further danger but if that's true hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Why do pilots avoid them? They, they do create a, a, a certain element of danger within themselves. The, the, one of the biggest dangers we'd have is the, the, um, you get these things called microbursts and wind shear that goes with them, which is a sudden change in direction of, and speed of, uh, of wind, which can have an impact on your airspeed and your lifts. And, um, but as, as regards to actually being in them with thunder and lightning, you don't want to be in them. They're, um, they can damage an aircraft. Like lightning can. Uh, the aircraft is designed to disperse the en energy out um, through the aircraft, but you'll get sometimes these tiny little exit holes from where the uh, where the energy has been dispersed out of the aircraft. So they're um, they are dangerous. They, they, we we do tend to stay away from them as much as we can. That is terrifying. Oh, ben, have you ever yes, have you ever been in a plane that's struck by lightning? I have been struck by lightning. I think three times. And what what um, what, what is that? Like? The first time. Um, was probably the, because you know, I'd never experienced it before, um, did startle me, shall we say. Um, and it was um, just a, it had been a pretty benign day going into, I think it was going into um, Faro, which is the, the Algarves um, airport. The storms there we weren't necessarily expecting, they weren't forecast, but there was gaps to be going, uh, you know, around them, weaving between them. And then all of a sudden, um, sort of, it felt like it was directly in front of me and sort of below my um, windshield. The best way I can describe it is if someone um, has just basically booted the aircraft really hard, you know, from the sound of it, uh, like a bloody great boot has just come inside, a great big bang. Um, there was a bit of noise from the cabin because apparently um, a sort of ball of, I think they call it ball of like plasma, sort of discharged. It's like a blue ball of electricity, basically. So it sounds, it is quite spectacular to see. 
but it's again not that big a deal actually. It sort of passed back through the cabin. Um, so it literally inside, goes down. inside. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that. Um, <laughs> I think people particularly enjoy seeing that. Um, Fuck but that. Uh, yeah, um, and, and it was a case of oh, oh shit, you know. And I said it was the first time I'd experienced it, so it did startle me. Actually, the effect on the flight was completely minimal. The only thing we had to do, and this was a legal requirement, was to have the aircraft checked over by an engineer where, when we arrived before we could head off back again. And it was fine. Yeah, it was absolutely fine. It genuinely, like, and unless I'd seen and heard it myself, I wouldn't have known it had happened. You'd be very surprised the amount of uh, battering that these aircraft can take. They're spectacularly yeah. designed and engineered. You can do so much to them, and they, um, and they, uh, they, they, they cease to amaze me. Really, how much, uh, how much battering you can give them. Yeah, my granddad used to. Because I used to talk to my, my granddad used to was an, um, a mechanic in the RAF. All um, right. He flew All right. in the Second World War quite a lot to fix planes, mainly on the ground, but occasionally if they thought there'd be damage sustained to the plane that he would have mm. to fly. And um, he talked to me about the, the pressure up there. Uh, that once you get up there, the pressure is so significant around the plane that it keeps it in the air. I might be remembering this wrong because I was little. When, you know, he's been, he's been gone ages, so I was that little. But is that right? Is that the speed you're traveling and the pressure above and below the plane fixes it in, in the air, is that right? Um, I'm, sorry, go ahead, I'm not 100% sure. No, I'm not, I was going to say, I'm not 100% sure if I get, get the, um, Physics. the drift there. Uh, he was probably uh, lying to me. He was shit man dead, anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's a pressure differential over the aerofoil of the wing that keeps it in the air. So as long as you can maintain a, 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 an airspeed over your stall speed, it will keep you in the air. Okay. Um, if you're born in, on an aeroplane, um, are you a national of the country you're flying over? Uh, fuck knows. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I have no idea if I'm honest. Okay. Um, uh, what else we got? Oh, um, I remember talking to you, Ben, and um, I think I asked you, and I never heard the answer because I asked you not to tell me. I asked you a question that I didn't want to know the answer to, and I feel like I have to answer it and ask it now. And you may remember what this is, but do are you aware of information that if I heard it, I probably would never fly again? Um, no, I, I genuinely not. And I think um, probably it's, it's my experience that the more people learn about it and exactly what's going into it, the safer they are, you know, safer they feel about it. Because the more you understand it, the less you see it as, you know, seven miles of um, thin air between you and the ground um, and, and more as, you know, sort of the physics involved. Yeah. So, no, like I, I am constantly amazed um, at the, the levels of, of checks um, the redundancy of uh, of the systems on the aircraft, the many many layers of safety nets, if you like, at, at every single stage before you even get to the aircraft. In fact, um, it's it's spectacularly safe. Okay, that makes me feel a bit better. Uh, Danny, is everything you said bullshit? No, he's dead right. It's it's ridiculous. It's um, you cannot do. You're constantly monitored. Like it's like Big Brother up there. If you do anything out of the ordinary, anything that you shouldn't be doing, they'll know about it. And it's just, um, yeah, there's no cutting corners in any aspect of any operation at all. It's it's ridiculous. And I don't I don't know if that's seen in too many other industries. I'm not too sure. It's the safest form of travel for a reason. Um, 
what happened to the MH370 flight? What most likely happened? Aliens. Aliens? Yeah. Really? Uh, I, I mean... So for those the, that don't know, sorry, for those that don't know, this was a, an airplane that disappeared in, what is it Malaysia, around that area? Yeah, it got handed yeah. over to um, Ho Chi Minh Control in Vietnam, and then it never made contact. Right, and, and they've never, they found bits of the fuselage and chassis and, and bits of the bits plane. Bits of washed up around the place, yeah. But they've never... They've never they've never found the black box. What the black box being the, where all the information of the flights recorded, so that would be able to explain what happened. Yeah, no, that um, um, no, they've never found it, and I don't suspect they ever will. It's mm. uh, is it actually a black box? It's actually orange. Orange. Yeah, mm. <laughs> makes sense. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, so they've never they've never found it, and this is like one of the biggest mysteries in aviation there's, history. there's a general consensus that they have an idea of, of what happened and, and what it seems to be is that the captain went rogue um and depressurized the aircraft um and put it on a heading of true south over the, the indian ocean and um everyone everyone probably would have lost consciousness and, and died before the aircraft hit the ocean at all and, and that's the general consensus because there's a few things that happened um, which make it certain systems were turned off that uh, only a person who knew what they were doing would have done that. So, and the track that the aircraft took before it disappeared was uh, obviously the aircraft was in control. So the the, the consensus seems to be that the uh, the captain went rogue. Mm. Um, so when you say depressurize the cabin, uh, what what does that mean? So um, aircraft cabins are pressurized at, uh, at high altitude. So their general cabins are in somewhere around 7,000 feet inside, but the actual aircrafts say up to 39, 41,000 feet. Mm -hmm. So it means that you can actually breathe. There's enough pressure there for you to breathe. So people are passed out for lack of oxygen. Yeah, they'll become hypoxic. And it's actually, it's, you start to feel like you're drunk So it's, and you become euphoric. So it's actually quite a nice way to go if you are going to go. It sounds all right. Um, what, what, um, so, uh, and, and when you say he turned the plane due south, that do you mean straight down? Yeah. So, uh, if you think, you know, think of a compass, yeah, uh, yeah, north, yeah. south, east and west. So one he turned it to 180 degrees, which is true south and it wasn't magnetic. He turned it true south, which means, which we don't normally fly. We fly off magnetic headings and he threw on a true heading, which was going directly to the South Pole, um, which was the furthest possible away from land in that particular Particular part of the world, so it it, it would it's um, it didn't seem like it was a coincidence. It was um, yeah. So, so like the idea that there was something mechanically wrong with the plane is is like the least likely. Uh, I I don't I don't think so. I, I, ben, you might know more about it, but from 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 what I've the little that I've read on it, it seems very suspicious. Yeah, I I, com I completely agree with it. There were too many, as you say, things which were done which would have to have been done by someone with knowledge. Uh, of the aircraft and mm. control of it at, at you know certain points. So yeah, I, I think it's very unlikely that it's a mechanical or structural failure. Um, what is the most difficult landing you've ever had to make, and what airport was it? Uh, ben, I, can, I know the answer for you, but it, so you go first. Well, actually, I, I wanted to because I, I listened to that podcast about Gibraltar the other day. Yeah. Um, so to clarify that, as I say, I'm a first officer, right? Gibraltar. Yeah. Is captains only landings, oh, so right. they have to do, have to do special training for it, um, and that's something that I want to do when I make it to the left-hand seat. But I've been to Gibraltar several times, but 
as a first officer, right? Which you don't need special training to do. The captains do, if that yeah. makes sense. All right. Um, I, so I, I probably just said it at that point for the sake of a good conversation. So I apologize for that. No, no, it's all right. I didn't, I didn't want anyone to think I was picking myself up because um, I'm capable of doing that anyway. So what's, um, what's, um, what's, what's the deal with that airport? It's, it's just quite peculiar for a few reasons. So, so number one, really short runway. So sure. all, all, all runways will have what you call a touchdown zone, which is um, a zone in which you have to, as the name suggests, touch down to be confident that you're going to, you know, having done your landing calculations, you're going to be able to stop in a certain distance, etc. Um, the the all of them have them. So Gatwick has it. You know, great big runways, miles long at Amsterdam, etc. Have touchdown zones. The one at um, Gibraltar is particularly small because it's a particularly short runway. And isn't it like the crosswinds other, as well? There's there's quite um, there are cross particular crosswind limits for Gibraltar, but where the wind becomes a bit peculiar around there is that when it's from certain directions it creates all kinds of as um danny mentioned wind shear um sort of um sudden changes in direction of wind it also does very strange thing to the sea when you're on short finals so just before you're coming in it creates water spouts when the wind's coming from particular directions largely because of the bloody great rock that's just next to the runway um it sort of creates um a kind of vortex around it if you like and that can whip up some of this it is very very strange and so the wind really has to be within certain limits before you can even legally make an approach there. Um, if it's just within those limits, then that can be quite an uncomfortable ride for, for the passengers. But I would emphasize you're only legally, again, allowed to make an approach if it's safe to do so. Can you land there, Dan? Uh, I've never been to Gibraltar. It's not never, that I've, I've never, I've never uh, I've obviously never been deemed good enough. Um, do you know do you know the the irony of this is like if you're gonna have a really dangerous sort of runway then mm-hmm. it should be somewhere better than Gibraltar <laughs> like, if you've been there it's nonsense um uh what's gonna say There's, is there one at Corfu that's quite dodgy as well my dad always remembered telling him and his him and my mum actually went there I think for the for a honeymoon and um the runway sticks out into the sea or something like that is that true Cor- Corfu's okay. They might be. Would they be thinking of Madeira? Maybe. From chat. Maybe. Yeah, because yeah. that that again is is a very is a is an interesting one. Um, it? How yeah, do you spell they, it? I'm googling it. Uh, well, Funchal the, is the name of the airport. It's F U N C H A L. It's the one where um, Cristiano Ronaldo had his uh, statue put up. But look, look at <laughs> That was fantastic. Yeah, so good, wasn't it? It was amazing. Um, I think it might actually be called Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo Airport now. But anyway. Um, <laughs> That one has a very, because it's basically, as you say, sticks out over the water and then the terrain ramps up very, very rapidly on the landward side of it. So there's very particular kinds of approach you can make. It's almost, from one end, it's almost a completely visual manoeuvre because there's no instrument landing system or anything like that there. But it's also quite um, constrained by the terrain. So again, you can only make an approach when the wind is relatively benign from that end. Mm. Um, Yeah, looking at it, it does look mad. Uh, when uh, me and my girlfriend, we were coming back from Amsterdam uh, a couple of years ago, and, <clears throat> and as you can imagine, a, a weekend in Amsterdam is uh, is spent. Um, you come away from it with more, more anxiety than you go with, right? Right, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. If you add to, added to that your uh, the, the fact that we're flying, you know, it was ramped up. So we left. I might be remembering this wrong, right? Because it was stressful. But we left the airport. We flew. No, do you know what? I'm mixing this up completely. Babe, yeah. 
When we went to Amsterdam, what happened with the aeroplane? We had a mislanding coming back. That's what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, that's completely normal and common. It's First one I've read. It probably seems more dramatic. I had, a, I had an incident, what well, I won't say an incident, but about, uh, I don't know, six weeks ago. Remember that huge storm that blew through uh, the UK? Yeah, yeah, um, Dennis. Yeah, and uh, I was going into Manchester and tried it twice, couldn't get in, had to bugger off and, and uh, head back up to Scandinavia. What? Yeah, you couldn't. All, right, uh, all the way there? Yeah, we left, uh, where were we coming from? I think it was Oslo. And um, the uh, most of the flights were cancelled. And the windshield reported on pretty much every runway in the UK that day. So we took enough fuel to, uh, to get back to Oslo as our alternate. So tried on, on the first time and got a wind shear warning at about 800 feet. Uh, so, 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 so someone who doesn't know, explain that. You're, you're coming in, you're lining the plane up, you're, you're coming to land. Uh, what happened? Yeah. Uh, so the, the, um, the aircraft's got a, a wind shear detection system on board it, so it can tell if, there's, if you're approaching wind shear or you're in wind shear. So it, it'll let you know. So it, uh, it'll call out wind shear ahead or it'll call out wind shear, wind shear. So you, you'll know... There's no missing it. So, so, so as soon as you hear that, you have to pull up. Uh, pretty much. So, if if it's a if you're in it, um, you, you'll know. You're, you're it's it's very obvious. Um, if it's ahead of you, obviously you're not in it yet, so you just got to avoid it. Do you ever just think, "Fuck it, let's do it"? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just give it a go. We don't want to go back to Oslo. Uh, you lose no. your job. I I I I I need income to to. <laughs> To, to buy beers and watch Spurs, you know? Fair enough. What about yours? Have you had, have you had many of those, uh, Ben? Uh, sort of mis- missed approaches in that. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, they can actually occur for lots of reasons. So Danny's mentioned about the weather there. It can be any number of things. So I've had to go around from, it's obviously called a go around from, um, from Gatwick because uh, a large aircraft from another airline, but I won't name, didn't get off the runway fast enough. Um, <laughs> so we had to bin it. Um, I've also had to go around because um, some uh, some dickhead in row four has stood up just before we're about to land. And so obviously the cabin is then no longer secure. Um, usually, I say usually, um, the, most of the ones I've had have been weather related. Sorry, either going... someone stood up and you couldn't land? Yeah, basically the cabin has to be secure. I, you know, when yeah. next time you fly, you'll hear, you'll hear the flight deck, the, the pilots ask the uh, cabin crew to prepare the cabin for landing. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. certain things they have to do to achieve that. You know, they'll come around, check you've got your seatbelts on, etc. Yeah. Um, once they've done their checks, they then call through cabin is secure for landing. That is then part of our list of checks, which we have to make sure we've completed before we land, right? Mm-hmm. If anything on that checklist isn't completed, then we aren't allowed to continue with the landing and we have to go around. Yeah, I get that. But you're like, it's on the geezer, isn't it? If he stands up and then you land and he smashes his head, that's his fault. Yeah. Like that's, well, that, it shouldn't, yeah, everyone, that, every, everyone else shouldn't have to bloody fly around for another half hour. I have panic attacks because it's well, that's it's generally how, uh, how, it, how it works, isn't it? We go yeah. at the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a, I had a, a, a good one in, uh, in Asia a few years ago when we got on final and there was kids playing football on the runway. Oh my god, <laughs> amazing! <laughs> and, uh, Unbelievable. So that, uh, yeah, it was an easy decision to make, really, wasn't when, it? When you're flying somewhere, right, what, what's like the worst? airport to fly to and, and, and i'm asking because you're thinking oh fucking we're gonna get some right dickheads on this flight uh are you passenger wise yeah 
but Benidorm, if you're flying to Benidorm, you think fuck. Yeah, it. I mean, if if you're yeah. if you're flying a bunch of football fans somewhere, you know there's probably going to be trouble. Yeah. yeah. Um, but generally, I I I found Asia quite odd because we the type of people we were flying we we're flying into a lot of these uh, old farms essentially, and people had never been on airplanes before, and they would. You know, in Asian culture, they don't wear their shoes inside, so they would leave their shoes at the door and be surprised when they weren't there at the other side. Um, <laughs> they would also wear motorbike helmets in the in the cabin as well, which I find found hilarious. What, what because in case it crashed? Well, uh, they're thinking as when when they go on a on a motorcycle, they got to wear a helmet in case they crash. So if you're flying in an airplane at thirty nine thousand feet, better wear my helmet. Huh? That makes sense to me. There is a logic, a logic in it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I might start doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I have uh, I have a picture somewhere of uh, of a cabin where they're all there's a load of them just wearing these tiny little motorbike helmets in it. It's hilarious. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, all right, all right that, that's all my questions. I think um, yeah, yeah, I, I feel pretty good. Is it? If, if I missed anything, is there anything you should you feel that we we, we should know as as passengers? Is, is there is there a height restriction for cabin crew? Height, height requirement. Yeah. Uh, there probably is one. I don't know what it is. I think the there is. Yeah, I don't know what it is though. Is that because they no. just don't want short, little, fat people? As, as exactly. Uh, that's, that's, that's the only the only explanation I could possibly think of. Yeah. No, no short, yeah. little, fat people. No people. short arses in cabins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so that they can um, they can reach the bags and stuff, right? It's, it's, it'll be more to do with safety related stuff than than just your bags. So obviously, being able to open the doors for you in an emergency, do first aid, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but uh, th- that that would be the only requirements. The one thing I would, you know, said about stuff people need to know: don't be a dick to the cabin crew because they could very well save your life <laughs> through any number of ways when when you're up there. So just be nice to them because they are, you know, they are. They, they do put up with so stuff. much shit. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine a spectacular amount of shit regularly. We're lucky; we can close the door. Uh, yeah. They they have to sit in a cabin with a few hundred people. Um, and it's some of the stuff that they've put up with is ridiculous. I couldn't possibly do it. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, yeah, I I, 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 always do this when I'm on a plane. Like when there's turbulence, I'm not big. I'm not a big fan of turbulence. We shouldn't be afraid of turbulence, right? No, no, nah. no. And and nah. another question. You know, when you're in a plane and you feel it drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, 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 is that the plane dropping? Uh, maybe a little bit, but it might only be a couple of feet. You, you know, people say, oh, I, was on, I was on a flight the other day and the, and the, the airplane plunged 10,000 feet in five seconds. You go, well, how did you know? Have you, did you have an altimeter in front of you that told you? How, or did the pilot get on and tell you? It's, you know, if if, if someone pulled the, tra- the chair out from under you now and you, your arse dropped three feet to the ground, you'd feel quite a drop, wouldn't you? But it's only about three feet. So it's really like a very small amount, even when you do feel it. I find the thing with turbulence with me is that it, it can be kind of relaxing because, you know, it's like a, a kid rocking in a cradle. It can nearly put you to sleep sometimes. Wow. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> and uh, what well, I had one more. And like if I'm on the pl- plane next time, I want my boy to see the cabin. Can he do that now? Or is it because of 9-11? It's always locked. It depends on the uh, I don't know. It's like in Ben's uh, company, but um, um, the last couple of companies I've worked with, they've been pretty good on it. Um, so most places, once you get on, once the aircraft's on the ground and the engines are shut down, uh, the pilots will be happy for for them to come up. And then generally, they're sick looking at each other anyway. They want somebody new in the cockpit to talk to. Mm. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's um, always encouraged. And final question, most important one is: um, Do or does being a captain or a co-captain I think that's what you said, Ben. Is it second, first class captain? Uh, uh, first officer. But first yeah. officer. Does that help when you know you're, you're talking to the ladies? 
Does it help? No. Do you wear your? Do, to be honest, Danny, do you wear your captain's hat, hat when you're walking around the pub and that? Uh, do I fuck? No, absolutely not. That's a lie. No, no, no. I, I, I'd always make up. St- people ask me what I do. I would never. I'd never say I was a pilot. I always because I, you kind of get drawn into the conversation all the time. So I just make up stuff. Dolphin yeah. trainer or something. <laughs> All right, that's fantastic. Thanks for taking time out. I know you haven't got much to do, but you do have families and whatnot, and um, this is a really uh, stressful time for a lot of people. So we hope that this podcast has given someone uh, out there a little bit of light relief and maybe feel a little bit better about travelling now. I feel better for it. So thank you, boys. It's all right, Clav. Speak soon. Cheers, Cheers, mate. mate. Bye. 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 Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.